Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. You're listening to Thunder and Lightning on Super Talk Mississippi. Covering Mississippi State sports like nobody else. Sports Talk Mississippi's Brian Haydad, along with Joel Coleman of Sports Illustrated's Cowbell Corner, give you an inside look at the Bulldogs on the field, the court, and the diamond. Now, get ready for Thunder and Lightning. This is Thunder and Lightning here on Super Talk Mississippi. Brian Haydad and Joel T. Coleman here with you on a Friday morning. Thanks for being with us. Sorry we missed you yesterday, but we are glad to be back at supertalk.fm or wherever it is you get your podcast. We appreciate all of our great listeners, especially our servicemen and women taking care of us out there, and our good friends in the medical field taking care of us here at home. want to thank our sponsors at Strange Brew Coffee House. We want to remind I, I this is the day. This might be the day. I'm, I, I am in a caffeine need. Long story short, if you've been keeping up on, on Sports Talk Mississippi, you'll hear more about this on today's show, I'm sure, because Richard will ask me about it. I have not had a root canal. I drove to Tupelo to find out I don't actually, I may not actually need a root canal. We won't have to get into it during this show because, I mean, it's about a 25-minute story. It's probably not that long. <laughs> it's it's, it's very long. Brian is the first person in the history of the world to be told, hey, you don't have to have a root canal, and yet he still had a bad day. Yeah. What is that book? Yeah, here it is. Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Yeah. Could have been the could have been Brian today. Your day had to really be awful to go to the dentist and it's like, "Hey, you don't need a root canal." And yet your day was still bad. That yeah, that that's, it was, yeah. that's Well, I mean, at the same it time, takes I, a I, lot. Did, I did drive to Tupelo to be told this. It's true. So, you know, I mean, I I will say the the cost of a tank of gas is a lot less than the cost of a root canal, so I'm excited about that. So. <laughs> And you probably uh, listened to some good pod or something. You probably had, to, had a good little time. I, I actually texted him. I, you know, not that you should text and drive. I hope Dexter McCluster is not listening. But <laughs> I did text her right when I got pat got through West Point, and I was like, "This has been a while since I put on the cruise control." Yeah, like I haven't gone anywhere. I haven't driven I anywhere. Either. I haven't either. Yeah, oh. I got to listen to music, and yeah, it was great. Uh, what also is great is Strange Brew Coffee House, as we once again have hijacked their ad. Hey, but once again today, I helped pay for it. So yeah, you know what? That, I feel like that's a a fair uh, fair trade. Uh, and of course, if you can get over there yourself, you should. You should go and get yourself a, an ice cold drink. Or I a, did that again. You today. got ice cold. Today. Had the had the twenty four ounce iced albino squirrel. You should be good to go. It's great. Man. You should be ready to roll. I like that. So, get over there, check them out, Strange Brew Coffee House, Highway 12, or University Drive, or, of course, our good friends over at Brewpolo, where I was today. You, you, yeah, they'll take care of you as well. Still waiting on Bruford, you know, Brutersburg, Birmingham, and Tuscaloosa. Those, 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 Bruluxy. Bruluxy would be a good one. You could put one in the casinos down there. You know, Bruluxy would be fine. Yeah. Pick a brune? I don't know. No? Maybe. Maybe? Maybe. Yeah. Vix Brug? No, that doesn't work. Not, not feeling that. No, I'm not either. So I mean, I'm sorry to my my hometown. I, we can't make it work. It's not a million dollar idea. So Brewhaven. Brewhaven would be a good one. That's very good. Yeah, very good. Uh, you got me thinking now. Like, yeah. how many of these things could we do? Uh, Ibruca. Cottage Corner. <laughs> no, Ibruca <laughs> is good. Don't act like Ibruca would not be. A, yeah, that, that would be pretty good. That's a good one. That is. That's good. that's a good one. So. <laughs> Brewhaven, Olive Brunch, Olive Brunch. We got them all. <laughs> we're we're franchising this thing. Let's go. 
Uh, yes, our good friends at College Corner. You could just you, you could it could still be Bruce. Hear me out here. <laughs> no, I got you. I see where you're going. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I see exactly you just changed the spelling. Calbroon City. <laughs> Brewpora. You go into Oxford, you go through Brewpora, Cal Broon City, and, and Bruce. <laughs> Get Shane on the phone. We're making money here. All right, College Corner. They got two locations in Brewland and, and Brewwood. No, Flowood, Ridgeland and Flowood. Uh, and, of course, thank you. You can shop online at collegecornerstore.com. That special is still ongoing as far as I know. They haven't told me otherwise, so there's a, still a chance for you to get one of these 30% off gift cards. All you got to do is go to that website, collegecornerstore.com, and when you type in gift card in the search bar, boom, 30% off. So $100 worth of gift card is only a $70 purchase out of your pocket. You simply cannot go wrong. You need a new shirt. You need some new MSU merchandise. Maybe you want to spruce up some things around the house, a little more maroon and white in the home itself. Maybe you're not your person. Hey, we're talking about football coming back and talking about you know everybody getting back together. Maybe your person. Hey, that's just not for you. You know, you think you're gonna you want to wait this one out. You want to stay home. This this this. You know, hey man, your choice. But if that's the case, make your house look like the tailgate. Do some home gating and make get yourself some nice new stuff from College Corner. Go to collegecornerstore.com and you can save a lot of money today. Our good friends over at Advantage Business Systems want you to know that regardless of what you're doing, if you're bringing your employees back or if you're keeping them at home, they have a solution for you. If you need to upgrade the technology in your office, your copiers, your phone systems, new computers, whatever that situation is, they have the sales and service to pull it off. And if you need to get your remote workers the business devices they need in the home office, they have the specials in place right now to save you a pretty penny. 45 years of experience, guys in the state of Mississippi. So they are all about being local and buying local. Give them a call today and see how they can help you. 844-833-6245. Visit them online at absms.com. Advantage Business Systems helps your business do business. It's deep dive day. I'm excited. This is a good one. I'm going to go ahead, folks, and just fill you in here. This deep dive is once again one that happened when I was five, six years old. You could do some research, Joel. You could, you could look it up on the internet. I could, or I could just let two outstanding guests tell me how it was. And, and that's basically And what an I outstanding did. host. Don't, don't, yeah, don't you, leave you him were pretty, you were if, okay. if, if you don't like Joel, if you're like, I, I like this show, but Joel is terrible. Today's your show. Today's a good show for you. You know, he'll have some things to say, but I'm just saying for the most part, yeah, this is a, this is more, it's, I feel like on Family Guy, we're like, yep. It's a mag episode. <laughs> Do with that information what you will. I don't know. You, yeah. you, you say I'll have a few things to say. Mm-hmm. Over the course of the interviews, I think maybe all I said was You, you, had to, you threw some laughs in. I think you laughed a yeah, couple Yeah, there, there times. were some good stories. There were some funny stories. We are going to talk about the first year of Jackie Sherrill at Mississippi State. 1991 football season. State goes back to the bowl game for the first time in, the, in a decade. Uh, we got some great interviews. I wanted to get some guys that maybe you haven't heard from in quite a while. Uh, so I've got former MSU offensive lineman Bill Sarton. And former MSU linebacker Daniel Boyd. But but first, let's talk about just my memories, I guess. And you know, Joel, you know, chime in if you, if you have a, if you want to ask questions. Maybe maybe let's let's do it that way. Why yeah, don't you? Uh, sure. Why don't you you take the reins here? All right. Jackie Sherrill gets hired. What an outrageous question! <laughs> Fake news. Jackie Sherrill gets hired. Comes to Mississippi State University. What does? I guess, what, 15-, 16-year-old Brian Haydad at the time. What's your excitement level? Because, I, you know, today's age, a new football coach gets hired. It's all over social media. It's everywhere. 
you're going to hear Bill Sarton tell how he found out here in just a minute. Yeah. When you found out Jackie Sherrill was the head coach at Mississippi State, what what, what goes through your mind? That they had hired a, a winner. You know, that, you know, Coach Felker, you know, I, I didn't, you know, I'm not old enough really to remember when Coach Ballard was hired. I remember him being runoff. Uh, Coach Felker comes in his first year. You know, he started out so well, and then it, it, it just fell apart there at the end. And then you struggle through the next four seasons. You only beat Ole Miss one time. You have that one in ten year. You go five and six back-to-back seasons. And so at this point in my life, you know, 80 and 81, I'm four and five when that happens. I don't really know anything about Mississippi State being in bowl games or anything like that. But I knew who Jackie Sherrill was, and I knew what he had done at Texas A&M. I enjoyed watching his teams at Texas A&M. Um, and so you knew that you were bringing a winner in. And that, that to me, was more important than anything else. Because you, you just had – I, I didn't know how college football worked back then. I, don't, I didn't know. And college football worked a lot differently back then. Back in 1991, a team like Mississippi State could have won the SEC. You know, nowadays, that's a much taller hill to, to climb. Um, but I knew you had, were bringing in a coach that knew what it took to win like that. What was obviously a very different media landscape then? You, you don't have yeah a, a ton of places to go. I mean, I guess ESPN's up and running, obviously. But you, other well, than that, you don't really have a ton. What, what's, what's the media reaction to Cheryl to start with? Wow. Uh, not only that, I mean, th- ESPN's not talking about Mississippi State. Yeah. I mean, not at all. And then on top of that, you know, I live in Vicksburg, Mississippi. We don't get the Clarion Ledger. We get the Vicksburg Evening Post. So I'm, mean, I'm sure there was a Associated Press article, maybe written by Ralph Russo back in the day, uh, talking about it. But honestly, the first thing that I remember about Coach Sherrill's being hired from a media perspective was an article in Sports Illustrated. Hey, hey uh, shout out to the yeah, but it paycheck. Was, it was titled "What Price Glory," and it was more about the NCAA issues he had had at Texas A&M and how he was, you know, he was never implicated. But sort of the same way coaches never were implicated back then. Yeah, you, you knew who was pulling the strings, whatever. Um, and they, you know, there was just like, is did MSU are they so thirsty for football glory they would do this? And my answer to that would have been yes. <laughs> I am tired of going to high, to school every Saturday after Thanksgiving and having to look at these Ole Miss fans and tell them, you know, and have to listen to them rail on about how they've beaten State yet again. And that was something and. Coach Sherrill and Coach Mullen, very similar in that they understood the rivalry between State and Ole Miss, and they grasped it, and they made it. They made Mississippi State fans know that they took that game seriously. Not that I don't think Rocky Felker did, and he played at Mississippi State. How could he not have? But when Sherrill came in and he talked about being able to put that coffee mug on your on your desk and being proud that it says Mississippi State, and he started calling them Mississippi. which I don't think I've ever heard him say Ole Miss. He ever. will never say it. And it drives them absolutely bat crazy. I don't know why they hate that so much. I think it's because Jackie did it. I think if somebody else just referred to them as Mississippi, they wouldn't say anything. But he made he made us understand that we're going to win and we're going to be better than Ole Miss. And that is something MSU fans think the eight think about the eighties, right? State, I think they, they win in eighty, they lose in eighty one on the I'm getting sick to my stomach just thinking about the dick pace call. Uh, they win again in 82, and then they only win one more game for the rest of the 80s. They win in 87 between two terrible teams. You know, they lost uh, in 83 on the kick blowing back. Uh, they lost uh, in 86 in the were mud. You, were you at that game, the 83 no, kick blowing back? No, thank God, no. I wouldn't be here today. I would have I 
my eight-year-old self would have probably <laughs> I would have had an aneurysm. I, I was thinking that you had told me you were at a I game in at, Jackson or something. Oh, I went to a lot of games in Jackson, yeah, but I didn't go to that game. Okay. Yeah, I went, I went to a ton of games in Jackson. I didn't see my first home game here in Starkville was this season. And they in lost. In 91. And they lost. Yeah. Which, game, which game was it? The Memphis game that okay. you heard Daniel Boyd talk a little Memphis bit about. Memphis State. Memphis State back in the day. <laughs> yeah, that was a bad Memphis team. They just came to Starkville and beat State. Um, that was my first ever trip to Starkville. I didn't see State win until 1990. My first game was in 81. And I didn't see State win until 90. <laughs> I, my, dad, my dad picked bad games. When did you see State win in Starkville? 93. Okay. I came up here for the Egg Bowl. There you go. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, what were we talking about? <laughs> I, I lost track of time. Well, the, the question was just like media coverage of yeah. Jackie. And I, I mean, it was it was sort of it's just so different, you know. Who I mean, I didn't know the Starkville Daily News, the Tupelo Daily Journal, any of that stuff. I, not on my radar. Yeah, and I, I really didn't start. There, reading there's the, no internet. To, there is to, no to internet. Log on and read. And I'm not really reading the Clarion Ledger, maybe until I'm a junior in high school. So, you know, I just I just didn't know. There was, all I knew was that he was the coach. So I always think about this like with recruiting. You think about how everybody knows everything about recruiting these days. Back in those days, you just woke up on signing day and looked at the, or the day after signing day, and there was a list. Okay, these were the new players. Yeah. Oh, he played at Meridian. He must be good. Yeah. You know, so that was all you had. You didn't have twelve months or more. It was in some cases more of buildup of who's the four or five you know, star. You'd have the, the the top ten most wanted and the top forty players in the state from the Clarion Ledger. And that's all you really had yeah. to go on. Were they doing Dandy Dozen back then? I don't know. Uh, I, they were, but I don't remember. I mean, yeah. you know. The Dandy Dozen was done prior to the start of the school, the high school year. So I don't know that I ever saw it. Yeah. Because I didn't see a high school, I didn't see a Clarion Ledger until I got to school and they would have them in the library. Yeah. So it's different times. Um, Let's see. See if I can think of anything else here as we get into all this. Yeah. But What's the expectations? I don't know if if it's if it's you or if it's someone else, but like, what, what's kind of the general Mississippi State fan consensus going into '91? What that's, this team's supposed to do? That's a good question. Um, you know, I know for Brian Haydad, I thought, okay, we're going to start winning games. I thought Mississippi State was about to become a winning football team. Um, you know, our, our, you know, I've always said that like our state's older fans. For the most part, have they've just been so beaten down? I mean, if you lived through the 50s, 60s, 70s as a state fan, you know, by the time you got to like 1991, you just you sort of accepted your lot in life at that point. <laughs> that is, it's just never going to happen. Um, and so Jackie Sherrill sought to break that mentality. This Jackie Sherrill's hiring is the start of the modern day of Mississippi State football. You know, for Ole Miss, it started earlier. It started with Billy Brewer came in, and even before, you know, with Steve Sloan, he didn't win a lot, but that was a guy that you know. His resume was see sort of a Moorhead kind of situation. The resume was good. Yeah. Um, Cheryl's hiring was the first time Mississippi State fans, I think, really felt they could win. You know, even when Felker came in, it was more like, "Well, he's our guy." You know, you look at his resume; they got no business being a head coach <laughs> for an SEC football team. He never even been a coordinator at that point. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, he, he had no. You know, his he was sort of the Joe Judge situation. Yeah. If, if, if Rocky Felker had played at Kansas State and they hired him, people would have lost their minds. Like, what, what is going on? But with Cheryl, for me, I think this was the first time MSG fans really and truly believed this program was about to turn and start winning again. All right. Well, let's – here we are now in 2020. I don't know if this is possible to do different eras, whatever. 
if you could somehow take Jackie and transplant him, <clears throat> what his resume was in 91 mm-hmm. into 2020, mm-hmm. and he's hired today, mm-hmm. what's the splashier hire, Mike Leach Ooh. or Jackie Sherrill? Assuming everything's the same, yeah, it's probably it's Jackie Sherrill because Jackie Sherrill had won conference championships at a major conference. You know, Texas A and M. He had made Texas A and M. He had, had had led them to overshadow Texas at that time. Um, they were the dominant team in, in, in that conference in the Southwest Conference for a you know four year span there. Um, and then of course you know he had played he had coached at Pitt. You know, in the in the under Coach Dan Marino at Pitt. So I mean. His yeah, his resume was a lot better, not a lot better, but you know the difference between Cheryl and Leach was Cheryl was just known for winning. He just won football games. Yeah. Leach, he didn't have that same kind of cachet that Leach has offensively. Yeah, you know he was just a good coach. But and of course back then, very few coaches had you know that's his offense. You know yeah. I mean I guess you had a little bit of that with the wishbone, but everybody was sort of running the wishbone at this point. Yeah. So it's just just a different kind of. So game. is it safe to say? That in the history of Mississippi State athletics, Jackie Sherrill might be the, I mean, different era, not media cover. What is it the biggest slash splashiest hire the school has ever made in any sport? Given that it is football, I mean, it is the biggest. Well, the sport. fact that it's football, yes. Ben Howland would probably be the correct answer to that. You can hire a coach with three final That's fours. That's true. That's true. Um, but he's he's up there. Jackie Sherrill's hiring to me is the second most important moment in Mississippi State football history at that mo- at that point in time, and only surpassed by firing Alan McKean, which spiraled the the football program to where it was in 1990. It never recovered from that moment. Bob Tyler brought it up a little bit. Paul Davis brought it up a little bit, but never it never gained any like real traction. That year after year, it became a winner until Jackie Sherrill arrived. So, all right. Let's move on into these interviews, and they are really, really good. I think you'll enjoy them. Uh, and of course, this is going to be brought to you by our good friends over at Welcome Home Beef, who I will be seeing later today when I pick up what we're going to be putting on the grill this weekend. Uh, Which is not beef at all. It's not beef at all. But that said, I want to give a quick uh, programming note. I believe the wife and I are going to do, we're taking the kids. We're going to go do something on Saturday. So if you don't see anything from me on Saturday, don't worry. I'm still cooking. It may just be on Sunday. I'm not 100% sure about that, so I will let you know. But... I will also let you know that Welcome Home Beef, right now, that's the place to get yourself what you're going to cook this weekend. Why don't you put some of those high-dollar steaks on the grill? Why don't you cook some of the best meat you can put your hands on, some of the best burgers? Maybe you want to smoke a brisket. They can do that for you. One of our listeners last a few weeks ago, Brad Haynes, uh, sent me some pictures. Big, beautiful brisket that he got from Welcome Home Beef. Some beef short ribs. Or, like we've been saying, they've now got pork on the menu over there. Chops, bacon. They're getting me a pork belly. It's a special order, but they can do that for you. All you've got to do is call them today at 662-418-2021 or just reach out to them on Facebook at facebook.com slash welcomehomebeef and tell them what you're in the market for. Tell them, hey, can you get this? Can you get that? Chances are the answer is going to be yes, and you can pick it up here in Starkville or they'll ship it to wherever you're coming from. So don't don't continue this. this the, we got these free weekends. You might as well be cooking, but you might as well be cooking the best stuff. So... You can get that when you talk to good, good folks at Welcome Home Beef. No matter what you order from there, though, one thing is for certain. It just tastes good. All right, let's start off on the offensive side of the ball with one of the big men, Bill Sarton, a guy, a, a big offensive lineman. Of course, when you talk about Jackie Sherrill, big offensive lineman is sort of, that was the, the, the watchword for him. Yep. I mean, he had the only offensive line in the country where they got the, the average weight went up 
when uh, you brought the tight end on the field in 1994. So let's talk to Bill Sarden and get back some of his memories of Coach Sherrill and the 1991 season. All right, so the first of our two interviews for this uh, podcast, joining us now on the Welcome Home Beef Hotline, former MSU offensive lineman Bill Sarton. Bill, you know, you think about this day and age of, of social media, you know, with, with Mike Leach coming in and trying to break that news and everything, everybody finding out. Quite a different story back in, in, the, in December of 1990 when, when Mississippi State's doing another coaching search there. When did you first find out that Jackie Sherrill was going to be the head coach at Mississippi State? And what was that first meeting with him like? You know, the first time that we ever heard who he was, who the coach was going to be, was when he walked in the building with us. They, you know, they kind of kept it a secret to us, and and then Coach Cheryl just walked in, and you know, uh, he was just his presence just made you feel like that hey, we're fixing to uh, do some great things here. You know, I, I read an article long time ago. Uh, I think it was after that first season about the Egg Bowl and about Coach Cheryl. And they described his uh, his motivational system as he, he had so much confidence and his he felt like it was his job to give that confidence to his players. Do you agree with that? Is it is that how he tried to motivate? Oh, he did. And he was a, he was definitely a player's coach. Uh, every game we played, uh, he had a some kind of you know motivation deal. If we played Texas. It was a, a Longhorn. If we played. Um, you know, somebody that we really need to get up to play. He had a key in our locker, gave it to us the night before. I mean, he was a, I mean, really great motivationalist. When you think about, you know, your first fall camp under Coach Sherrill versus your first, maybe your last one under Coach Felker, what was the, the biggest difference between the two of them and the way they, they set up practice? Uh, the biggest difference was Coach Sherrill created a team atmosphere. You know, I mean, he was – all about team. He was all about you know making us better. Not not to any discredit to uh, Coach Becker, but when uh, Coach Cheryl came in, it was like we're a team. We're going to be together. I mean, you know, sometimes in practice in college, you're getting some little scuffles every now and then. <laughs> and, so I hear, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but Coach Cheryl, if you got in a scuffle, he'd make an example out of you. How? What would he do? Well, you just have to line up and keep going against each other until you got tired, and then you <laughs> they blow the whistle and you do it again. <laughs> you hear about that sometimes with kids. You put them in that get-along shirt, right? You just make them just wear them out. There you go. <laughs> That's true. So, you know, week one of that season, y'all play Cal State Fullerton. Not, not a good team, but, you know, you beat them handily. And I, one thing I always say on this pod, and Joel say it with you, is that when you, when you play a bad team, if you're a good team, you should beat them badly. And that's what happened. That's you, know, you won that game pretty easily. And then you're going to play Texas week two. This is maybe the biggest game in Starkville in a long, long time. Obviously, we know Jackie Sherrill's you know, legacy against the University of Texas. He's beaten them many, many times. What was his message to you all that week? I'll just, you know, the, they thought they could come in and push us around. Uh, you know, we're, you know they, were, they could have any athlete they wanted. Uh, we were just you know, regular old country boys from Mississippi. And, uh, you know, I think the guy I was playing against was the strongest player in Texas history. And uh, I, I think his name was James Patton or something. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we just – and then I don't know if you remember the – you may not remember the game, but in the first quarter it started raining. Yeah. 
and then it got really hot. Yeah. <laughs> and Coach Shell said, "These boys ain't used to this Mississippi heat." <laughs> Hey, that, that's that's one of the underrated parts of that game was that it was super hot to begin with, and then when that rain hit, it just became like a humidity bomb across there. And, 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 and you know, like you said, the Texas kids, they, they're not used to that that kind of, of weather, and you guys were. It, it, was that the moment where you thought, we've got these guys on the ropes a little bit, this is where we're going to win the football game? I, I think we started, you know, like on Sunday when, when we started having our meetings, and Coach Cheryl was talking to us. And, you know, I mean, we never went to a game that we thought we were going to lose with him. I mean, he had the utmost confidence in everybody. I mean, he believed in you. Um, you know, if you if you wasn't playing good or you weren't, you know, where you need to be, he'd pull you aside and talk to you. I'm telling you, he was a, the best player coach I've ever played for. Of course, midway through the season, you know, tragedy strikes this team, and something that you don't see a whole lot of in college football. You, you lose a player, Rodney Stowers passes away from, uh, from all things, of a, from a broken leg. You know, he just has a, a blood clot and, and all that. When did you guys find out what had happened with Rodney, and, and what did that do to the team after that? Man, uh, we were on the on, on the plane ride back from Florida, and uh, Rodney wasn't doing good. Then I think we had an off week the next week, and uh, they said we wasn't having practice and putting a, put a sign up and said, Rodney, you know, Rodney wasn't doing good. And I'm going to tell you, I don't know. Look, when you play football in college, the guys that you play with, they're your brothers. I mean, you bleed with each other. You fight with each other. You do whatever you got to do. And then when one of them goes down, I, I mean, I was – that was tough for everybody. I mean, everyone was pulled together, and uh, we just did everything we could do, you know, to do just to survive. And you know, our leadership was great. Uh, I was I was a sophomore then, but I mean, just Rodney was the toughest guy I ever played against. Rodney was a defensive lineman. Mm-hmm. I mean, most of the time as offensive lineman, when you hit somebody, they turn their head. You know, Rodney was one of those guys who could look you in the eyes when he hit you. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's and I was the same way. But, man, it was to walk back on the field after all that with Rodney, to just step foot back on the field was really, really tough, I promise you. Yeah, I can imagine. You guys, you know, in October you beat Kentucky, you lose a home game to Memphis. And so you're, you know, you're obviously better than you were a season ago, but you're not, you know, the record's not as maybe as good as you want it to be. But then you finish really strong. You go into that stretch, which, you know, old Mississippi State fans like myself will remember, always playing Auburn, Alabama, LSU, Ole Miss to finish the year. They called it death row. You just, you, you just, you just, didn't, you just sort of had a bad feeling about that. But you win three of those four games. You win at Auburn, you win at LSU, and then you win the Egg Bowl on campus for the first time, you know, since the, the 70s. Is there one game in particular there that stands out the most to you? Yes. Well, we beat LSU at LSU. Mm-hmm. We had 500 yards rushing, yes. and the only people in the, in the stadium were with the offensive linemen, the running backs, and the offense, and the LSU band playing hold that tight. <laughs> <laughs> that game is 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 a really interesting box score to look at when you think about what, especially when you think about Mississippi State and what they're going to become this year, right? With Mike Leach throwing the ball. 50, 60 times a game. I think, if I'm correct, Mississippi State threw uh, six passes on that day. I think they were four or six on the day. Something like that. It was something ridiculous. And like you mentioned, 
500 yards rushing, three different backs go over 100 yards. <laughs> in Tiger Stadium, I mean, that had to be something really, really, really special. It was. I mean, it was It was pretty awesome. You know, the game at Auburn was, was good. We had Alabama beat at Alabama. Oh, yeah. And uh, we had a little misfortune down there on the end, mm-hmm. on, right, going in. But, uh, I mean, just, you know, the whole deal right there, when we took the field, it, it didn't matter who we were playing against. You know, back then, Mississippi State, if you played us and you won, then you beat us. But yeah. uh, you felt it the next two weeks. That's, 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 that's what you always heard about Coach Sherrill's team was you might beat Mississippi State, but they'll beat you the next week because you're just going to be so beat up from playing them. And, and that's right. <laughs> talk, talk about that Egg Bowl for just a moment. The first Egg Bowl on campus since I, I don't remember when. you know. And, of course, the 80s were not a good decade for Mississippi State against Ole Miss. And they come in, they're coming to Starkville. That you, you had to know going in that this was going to be a big deal, but what was it like to finally get, sort of get that monkey off your back and get the Golden Egg Trophy back into Starkville? You know, it was an awesome deal. You know, it's a big deal in Mississippi. You know, and, you know, playing against Ole Miss is always a good game. And, uh, you know, but, yeah, I mean, you play LSU, you play Auburn, you play Alabama. I mean, I'm not downplaying the rivalry by any means, but the guy that's playing in front of you from those schools, every one of them are good and you respect them. And, uh, you know, but it was good to win. Yeah. I mean, it was good to you know, bring it back to where it needs to be. Absolutely. What's your, what's, if I said, you know, what's your biggest takeaway? What's the, the thing you think of first when you think back to this season? What is it? I guess just uh, uh, confidence that uh, Coach Cheryl uh, put in us to uh, be the men we are today. And uh, somebody believed in you. Somebody, you know, Coach Cheryl's an awesome guy. I mean, he's coached thousands of players. You know what I mean? Yeah. But he, he knows my mom and daddy when he sees them at a gas station somewhere just out of the blue 15 years later and calls them by name. I mean, how many college coaches can do that? Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, I think just his character and, you know, the confidence that he instilled in each one of us is, a, I mean, a testament to who he is. Yeah. Well, Coach Cheryl, obviously a legend in Mississippi State. This was a fun, fun look back. I look forward to talking with uh, with Daniel Boyd a little later and finding out what he was thinking about with y'all when y'all were on defense uh, that season. Bill Sarton, man, thanks so much for joining us. Great pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, Bill. Well, thank you. I enjoyed it. All right, thanks to Bill for talking to us. That was really good stuff. I certainly appreciate that. You know, and Joel, I tell you to be honest with you, when we were doing this deep dive and I was setting everything up and getting ready, until maybe about. Two or three hours before I interviewed Bill, I had forgotten about Rodney Stowers. I had forgotten about that moment. And that's a weird thing, you know, to to see a college football player die. And we're going to hear a little bit more about that when we talk to Daniel Boyd, who is now an orthopedic surgeon. Mm-hmm. To die of a – basically, he, he died because he got a broken leg. Yeah. You know, it turned into a blood clot, and it, it sort of went from there. But that's not something you ever heard of. I remember being at school and people talking about, like, that. yeah, he died. I'm like, what do you mean he died? Like, how does a college football player die? Yeah. Never heard of anything like that at that point. You know, you knew about Chucky Mullins. It happened a few years earlier. But that was, you know, you saw what happened to him. Like, yeah. you know, you saw that, you know, Rodney Sowers broke his leg. What do you mean he's dead? So I remember every all the state fans on the high school team I was on, we all, like, on our pads wrote, like, 97 and, and stuff. And I've always thought that Coach Cheryl, that that and then the loss of Kiefer McGee later in his career, 
really did a number on him. I mean, it, how could it not? It, it had to have. How could it not? You know, I mean, Mississippi State and Ole Miss, too, have had a lot of tragedy in their football programs for whatever reason. You know, just, just unlucky. You, know, you think about some of these things that a high school, a college football player, you know, dies basically because he broke his leg. Yeah. A, a high school, a college football player, best conditioned athletes in the world, drowns in a apartment swimming pool. How does that happen? Yeah. yeah how does that happen? It's, it's just one of those, those things. You know, with Ole Miss, with Chucky Mullins, yeah, it's, that's a hard hit, but the guy who got hit walked away. Yeah. You know, and I don't know if you've ever watched the uh, the SEC the, the story. Yeah. yeah. And that is one of the hardest things to watch. I mean, you feel bad for that guy. Yeah. He, oh, every Christmas, he walks away from his family to go sit at a grave. I mean that he's. I mean, it's it's just tough, and uh, you know you could hear the emotion. I think in Bill's voice talking about his former teammate. I think you'll hear it again in this next interview. Back to the Welcome Home Beef Hotline. Let's talk to Daniel Boyd about his memories of the 1991 season, and uh, why he why he living in Oxford. Uh, he he has a, a few uh, extra special memories. Joining us now on the Welcome Home Beef Hotline, former MSU linebacker, All-SEC linebacker, Daniel Boyd, who now resides in – what? where do you live, Daniel? In the uh, great town of Oxford, Mississippi. <laughs> you tell us a little bit about that before we, uh, we get on the air. There, there's, some, there's some bulldogs in Oxford that will make themselves known every now and then. Absolutely. Uh, it is quite interesting in clinic. Uh, I have a, a few Mississippi State pictures up along the hallway and uh my partners and i are the team physicians for Ole miss and so of course there's a lot of pictures of us caring for particular athletes or whatnot uh on the wall and so there's uh there's one particular room that has a little bit more bulldog uh color let's say and mm-hmm. items in it and we have several patients that request that room so ah. it's, a, it's a fun day sometimes i like we that. get to talking about uh, uh particularly in the fall when football season's uh, happening they of course ask me a lot of questions about uh, mississippi state football and i'd say look you know i i try to read and keep up but heck you could probably tell me more night you know i could tell you so um it is a good time. I got to Oxford because I married uh, the love of my life, Nicole Boyd, Nicole Aikens Boyd, mm-hmm. uh, who grew up in Oxford and graduated from Mississippi State. And uh, after we finished uh, a fellowship in Texas in uh, sports medicine and joint replacement, uh, we were looking around and actually a, a couple of different spots that uh, help take care of SEC schools and um, it happened that uh, as my mentor said when you're looking for a job you go where your wife wants to go <laughs> and you go where and you go where you don't have an accent so, uh, Oxford fit the bill and uh, I followed my mentor's advice and I Followed my wife's lead, and she moved us back to Oxford. Well, there you go. Well, you know, you're holding up. You're holding up the uh, the fort for us up there. We we appreciate that. Let's let's dive in here. Let's talk about the, this 1991 team. One thing that that Coach Cheryl has always said many many times is he's always been very complimentary of Coach Felker and and the talent that was left in the cupboard, so to speak. How early in in, in practice once Coach Cheryl arrived did you know this was going to be a successful football team that would get back to a bowl game? Well, 
I knew that there was good competition, but uh, as you may recall, I transferred yeah. to Mississippi State from University of Minnesota. I grew up in the Memphis and DeSoto County area, and um, I wanted to go away to school, and so I, I went there, I did it, and things weren't headed in the right direction, in my opinion, and so I transferred back to Mississippi State, and so I had a little perspective of what the team was there and you know who we played against in the Big Ten and what the, uh, after spending the year on the scout team, uh, because I was ineligible after the transfer, I had to sit out a year, I knew that, you know, we had a chance to be you know, okay, but I felt like it was going to take uh, some, you know, breaks our way to, to really have a good team. And I was probably you know, correct in, in, in thinking that way. But looking back on it, we we had a better team than our record demonstrated. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, hindsight and perspective and maturity and all those sorts of things go into that comment. And we really did have some players that were really, really good. And then we had some players that were... Uh, a little bit better than good Uh, and so we could fill in some gaps and you know the thing we probably lacked at that time was was a lot of depth Uh, and so uh, that that hurt us uh, in the long run but uh, when you talk about uh, you know certain spots where we had some very good players. There were you know, a few that you know played in the NFL, but there were a few that were just really good at what they did and probably didn't appreciate it enough at the time. You guys, you know, bringing back more, more or less the sort of the same staff uh, when, when Coach Charles took over. Bill Clay and Jim Tompkins had already been at Mississippi State, and they stayed on board. How hands-on was Coach Sherrill with the defense? Well, initially, he was not uh, 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 extremely hands-on because, uh, you know, when, when you have a new coach, uh, you know, he's juggling 17 balls and he's trying to, uh, you know, regroup, regather. Remember, probably, what was it, uh, two or three years prior to this, it was a one-win season, and yeah. so you know he was uh, he was uh, filling a lot of gaps. And so initially, I think he certainly focused more on special teams and offense, and uh, of course took interest in the defense. Uh, but uh, as many uh, coaches are, even to this day. They, they sort of have their uh, preference, and I think he was correct because uh, he, you know, gave that um, time and uh, uh, support and um, just his experience, et cetera, to the special teams and offense where, you know, uh, it was likely needed. I mean, we needed to improve and score points and, and that sort of thing. And he had the confidence in 
Bill Clay and Pete Jenkins and Jim Tompkins and um, you know a couple of others that he he could I think uh, have his hand on it but not be in the room all the time discussing game plans and and that sort of thing. I don't know if you know if you know this or not, but you know. Mississippi State had you. You were an All SEC linebacker. You know that, obviously. Keo Coleman, your your partner there, was an All SEC linebacker. Going back, to, I think to 1988, you had James Williams, then you had Reggie Stewart. They were All SEC linebackers, and then that tradition continued. I think well into the 2000s. You know, you would Mario Hagan was an All SEC linebacker. What was what was Jim Tompkins' secret to coaching All SEC linebackers? Because he had about ten of them. Yeah, it was uh, a really uh, amazing run for any coach to have. And uh, I have uh, great respect and a lot of uh, heartfelt love for Coach Tompkins. Uh, He was another and is another family member. And I uh, still talk to him uh, pretty frequently. Uh, But Coach Tompkins, I think, I don't know the exact number, but the number... 10 comes to mind. I think there were 10 consecutive years yeah. where he had a player on the LACC team, which is a, a really great accomplishment and, and just goes to show you what what he could do. Uh, first of all, it was taking average players like me and making them better and then having really good, talented players like Keo Coleman and manipulating the situation, encouraging them when they need to be encouraged, rein them in when they need to to uh, sort of you know walk the straight and narrow uh, but for him it came down to fundamentals and there weren't a lot of coaches to my knowledge at the time that were teaching the use of the hands and the use of footwork like Coach Tompkins did and we would see it on film. Maybe we were watching another team we were going to play and you'd catch a glimpse of their defense and you'd see their players making false steps and getting out of position and not staying square of the line and therefore they were easily um, um, taken advantage of with, with cutbacks or zone plays. And so the, the, the techniques that are just obvious today uh, were some of the things he harped on and we did fundamentals every single day and it was you know after you had been through the program for three or four years it was just a part of who you were and you were doing these fundamental steps and the use of your hands and your head and your sleep and um, after a while uh, when we you know, were more experienced, we could break down film with him and knew what to expect during games. And, you know, of course, every team has graduate assistants that watch a lot of film and can give you percentages. Okay, third and long, third and six or more, here are their top four plays. And third and two or less, this is what they're going to run. Middle of the field, right hash, left hash, this is what they do. 72% of the time, you know, that sort of stuff. And you start to uh, pick up those sort of uh, things, and so you put that together with the fundamentals, and things seem to happen slower. You understand how you're being attacked, and hopefully 
that turns into uh, performance. But but he had some really really good good players. Uh, several that played, uh, several uh, that played in the NFL. And uh, you mentioned Keo Coleman. Man, he was a beast. You know, oh, yeah. this, this guy could run like a deer. And I remember when he reported to camp uh, his senior year, he was 272 pounds. Hmm. That guy was a freak. In 1991, 90, 90, 91 time, uh, you know, when he came out of junior college, I mean, you just don't have linebackers that big, yeah. even today. Yeah. And of course, you know, for him, it was, you know, well, when Coach Tompkins saw that, it was a bad day for him. But <laughs> yeah, for, <laughs> that camp consisted of a lot of uh, salads and a lot of running. But uh, That sounds uh, miserable. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it um, was just part of – Coach Tompkins is a – he he's a really talented coach because he is so rigid in his discipline and his um, day-to-day life is so regimented he is like a drill sergeant and that comes across when you're doing these fundamental drills however he has this charisma about him that makes him so likable and it's it's almost like a chameleon, and and he's the guy that was signing all these players out of Georgia. Yes, yes, in I'm the about Atlanta to area, that. and 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 bringing them into to state. And uh, you would think, wait, this guy on the field is like, you know, you're in the Marine, uh, and here you here he is bringing all these guys in, and you and you see him outside the. Uh, the practice field, and he's the most likable, down-to-earth, caring guy. Uh, so uh, he, he really, really is a special person and a special coach. And uh, um, I, I just, I know that the guys like myself were, were extremely fortunate to have uh, played for him. Yeah, I was wondering if you were going to mention the, the Tompkins pipeline that ran from Georgia to Starkville. That guy, he every year State got quality undervalued, underrated players from from the state of Georgia. And then Jim Tompkins was the guy uh, bringing those guys in. This was an underrated defense, in my opinion. You know, you you've, Obviously, college football is a lot different now. Back in, in 1991, if you scored 30 points in a game, you're probably going to win the game. Nowadays, teams lose all the time. But you guys didn't give up 30 points in the regular season. The most points you gave up was 29 to Florida. Um, you held one, two, three, four, five teams into single digits and a couple others, you know, to 17, 13 points. What you mentioned, you know, you had a lot of NFL talent. I think the guy who played the most years in the NFL was Keevan Henry, who played a long time with the Steelers. But you also had a lot of these, like you mentioned, the underrated guys. What made this, this defense so cohesive and, and made them so successful? Well, uh, uh, I tell you, uh, the, the philosophy was the coaches were going to stick to a base defense and then have some variations of this base defense that applied to a particular opponent we were going to play. They had some blitz schemes and stunts, and but those were almost done 
in, in some cases, uh, we could call those on the fly on the field. In some cases, they would be called, say, a, a stunt uh, from the defensive line and the, the secondary and the linebackers, you know, knew that that might be happening, but they didn't care because it didn't apply to them specifically uh, because they understood their job with this base defense and then variations off of it. Almost like uh, the some of these spread offenses where they're really running basically 10 plays. Yeah. And then there's a tree that makes it into 40 plays because there's variations of each of those 10. And, and so that was sort of the philosophy. They wanted to keep things pretty vanilla and then throw wrinkles here and there. But they felt like they could have good players perform better when they weren't out of position, where they weren't having to, as a secondary, is this, uh, do, do I roll and, and, and back to take the hash away from uh, the defender uh, on his inside in a certain technique? And, you know, they, they simplified it would be a good way to put it, but it was allowing them to use some of their ability and hide the fact that it was uh, somewhat more basic by throwing in little wrinkles uh, throughout this uh, throughout the game uh, as a part of this base defense. And if I could tell you two things that made the defense great, or I wouldn't say great, but very good, would be the defensive line coached by Pete Jenkins. Those guys usually played really well. And Coach Jenkins told me, I'm going to make you an All-American. And I'm going to keep those guys off of you. Just don't miss the tackle. And, uh, you know, looking back, at you know, I thought he was halfway crazy at the time. But, uh, you know, he, he that's what he was doing. And the other thing, the second thing besides the defensive line was Mark Woodard. Mark Woodard was fast. Yes. He was really fast. Uh, and at 235 pounds, he was running a 4-4. And, you know, that's still good today. Yeah. But back then, it was really good. And so our nickel coverage included our base defense because we had Mark Woodard. He could cover guys. He was so fast. And so... Uh, as an outside linebacker, he often comes with our nickel. Uh, he, he just—he was as fast as the DBs, and so uh, it, it, that, those two things likely made the defense uh, work. Um, and so, like I said, it wasn't a great defense, but you know, we we held our own on most occasions. You have to remember, this was uh, there were a lot of guys that had been through coaching changes and you know maybe they came from high school programs and weren't used to winning and there there is you know people talk about that all the time a mindset a hurdle to climb and you know today our perspective is different 
you you know any team thinks well heck why not us you know we've got a chance we should win the SEC this year why can't it be us back then it was always you had to earn your way you had to sort of get to the the mountain and then maybe you know fall get beaten in the end but you sort of you know ground your way and you you had the experience to fall back on and then you could get to the top of the mountain so we None of the guys on that team had ever really experienced that because our teams weren't that good, from what I recall. And it uh, was the first year where things started coming together a little bit more. And, you know, we, we won the games we should have. And the problem was that there were uh, three games uh, in my memory that stood out that a Memphis game that we lost that was just, we just laid an egg. Uh, a Tennessee game at Tennessee that came down to the, the last few seconds. And if it weren't for some chain gang person on the sideline having the wrong down marker up, mm-hmm. Johnny Majors never probably would have gone for it on fourth down and who knows you know things things yeah. might have changed that was actually a, a fourth down he went yeah. for and he thought it was third and um and alabama at alabama when we were had the ball on the three yard line going in and let's just call it some gamesmanship shenanigans the alabama defense that uh helped them you know pull that one out and that, that's things like that. You know, sometimes you're, you're playing a, maybe a few younger players or maybe they're older players but don't have a lot of experience. That gamesmanship or that expectation of, like, we should come in here and win this game. That, that's not the mindset uh, often. I will say that, that Coach Cheryl tried to instill that sort of thing, and that was different for most of the guys. And I think a lot of the – the players were motivated by that. I think they 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 clung to a positive attitude. And he wasn't necessarily uh, a cheerleader or some sort of rah-rah type coach, but he said things matter-of-fact, like, we will go there and we will win. And that was just it. And everybody said, well, okay, I guess, that's, I guess we're going to win. And so uh, those sorts of things... Uh, had an impact on a lot of players, and I think they uh, got involved in the game. Maybe a good, some good things happened, and all of a sudden they thought, well, geez, we are supposed to win this game. And, and then there it was. It's impossible to talk about this season and not talk about Rodney Stowers passing away uh, after, the, after the Florida game. Just from you, what did that do to you? How did it affect you, and, and how did you see it affect Coach Cheryl? Well, uh, uh you know, it affected everyone. Of course, on any team, uh, there some guys are closer with than others. But you know, when you're out there battling and two days and spring practice and county fair during spring practice, where you're just you know the, the guys are just hurting a lot, and uh, you go through that, you have this this kinship and. And 
uh, Rodney uh, at at nose tackle, uh, he he was kind of an anchor there, and and people forget he came to Mississippi State when I think he I think he somehow lied. I think he was like sixteen when he came, <laughs> but he 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 was young when he came. I think he came as a seventeen year old officially, and so he was still uh, really young uh, uh, playing, and. Um, I, I saw it. It took a notch out of uh, Coach Cheryl. Um, you know, just somber, uh, tough to make it through the day. That, that was a really tough week, and I, and I have some different perspective on that. Um, you know, now being an orthopedic surgeon, I understand what yeah. happened to Rodney, and I, I just my heart goes out to the folks that were taking care of Rodney because I know the type of people they are i know how intelligent and talented they are as physicians and you know the something that that happens very rarely uh, happened to rodney and i just i just couldn't imagine uh, having to, to to face that uh, with you know one of my players uh and so it it uh it was a definitely a a tough time for a lot of guys uh, and it took some wind out of our sails for sure uh, you know I, I would say that maybe it evened out although we, we were you know hurting and, and sort of um, let's say in, in some cases depressed and you know kind of going through the motions of practice eventually we came out of that slump and and maybe were inspired uh, a little bit more uh, by Rodney's passing. Well, you said it. You know, you you end up winning three of your final four games in the regular season, and that's the stretch that, as I told uh, Bill Sarton last night, they called it death row back in the day. That you know, State would always finish the season with Auburn, Alabama, LSU, and Ole Miss, and the number of years that I remember being zero and four in that stretch is 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 you know, there's a lot of them. So you go three and one. Mm-hmm. I asked Bill what his most memorable win was, and he said it was LSU because as an offensive lineman, they rushed for almost 1,000 yards or whatever it was on the Tigers that night. Of those three wins, which one is most memorable for you? Mm, well, uh, it's good living in Oxford to always remember <laughs> win against Ole Miss. Uh, uh, you know, and, and, and that Ole Miss game was the first uh, game played on campus. Mm-hmm. Again, uh, and so you know that that win was uh, it was one of those wins where uh, it was just our day, and we we knew we were going to win before the game. We knew we were going to win during the game. Uh, it we felt like we had the better team, and and it was just our day. It was the first game in on Scott Field for you know a long time against Ole Miss. And so, uh, you know, that, that was satisfying. And, and uh, before Coach uh, Billy Brewer's death, um, he and I would have breakfast together uh, on occasion, and we talked about some of those games. And I, over the years, had confided in, in him that I had figured out several of their signals uh, <laughs> by, uh, you know, second, third quarter. And, 
and he always got a big kick about that, and we compared notes, and and it, you know that game was a, a good time. Just just the simple uh, fact that eventually you start figuring out their signals, and you know what's coming, and you tell your defensive tackle it's coming to you, and then he blows the play up, and you felt like you know you were in charge, in control, and that was that was satisfying. Just last question here. Just the season as a whole. What's what's the biggest takeaway for you when you think about this season? What's the first thing that pops into your head? I would say my friends, classmates at school. Uh, Coach Cheryl did a really good job of marketing. Before the days of social media like we have now, every coach is half coach, half car salesman, half father, half uh, gambler. I mean, they, you know, they, they're wearing a lot of hats, uh, and it takes a multimodal personality for sure to, to be a head coach these days. But in those days, it, it seemed less about the marketing poise and and um, some of the um, I guess uh, things that would draw interest to your team uh, Coach Cheryl instigated uh, several of those things and, and he really felt like he, he needed course recruiting and and support for the program from the alumni and previous players but one of the things he wanted to do was uh really get the students involved and he would say that and you know and i would hear it in press conferences or reading the paper and and i think he tried to just because he wanted that support from all of the avenues he listed but one of those was students and i can remember my friends were suddenly just enamored they were excited they were beside themselves when they finally had a good team to root for and you know they started following us all over uh the the country through our away games you know after that texas game several of my friends came out of the stands and stole the bowl bone mobile and drove it uh, around the uh, around scott field while uh uh, security guards chased them, and I just sat on the bench and looked at them and just smiled and said, "You know what? I'm glad I was here." That's good stuff. Good stuff. Daniel Boyd, former All SEC linebacker, now a doctor up there in Oxford, Mississippi. We really, really appreciate time. Really good stuff. Thanks for taking time to talk with us. Glad to do it. Thanks, Daniel. All right. Thanks again to Daniel. Really, really good stuff there. A lot of great, great information. I, I knew that it would be talking to him and, and talking to Bill as well. I want to thank him again uh, a lot for, for, for this, you know, for, for coming on with us, and we appreciate that. Okay, so year one of the Jackie Sherrill era is over. Yeah. I guess at this point, State's beating Ole Miss mm-hmm. at the end of the year. That, of course, they go to the bowl game. Yeah. They lose to Air Force, yeah. I believe, in, in the Liberty Bowl. Which is one of the weirdest games ever. That was like one of the first times I ever realized you don't want to play an option team. <laughs> you just don't want to play them. Yeah. Well, you saying that makes me, I guess it leads into my question. Did that loss at all sour no. the momentum Jackie built in your No, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. You look to, to the next year. 
Um, you know, and they got off to a really good start. Jackie Sherrill's biggest issue was he lost games every year he should not have lost. It's it, Memphis if, State in year one. If Jackie Sherrill had just it been, if he had, had followed the Mullen code of winning the games you were supposed to win and only losing the games you were a big underdog in, then he probably would have like 20 more wins, 20 <laughs> fewer losses. I mean, it, it really is that way. He loses to Memphis in year one. In year two, he loses to a 2-9 and nine LSU team. Bad LSU team, which is so weird to talk about, by the way. Yeah. Two and nine, they lose to South Carolina. South Carolina finished five and six, but they were zero and zero and. Uh, I think they were zero and five, six when they played this game, or zero and five at, at, at worst. Let me double check that. That's the famous uh, Steve Cannyhill game. Yeah, they were zero and five, and it had only sc- had not scored more than eighteen points in a single game. That was a loss to East Carolina. In SEC play, they had lost to Georgia, Arkansas, uh, Kentucky, and Alabama. They scored six, seven, nine, and seven, but somehow they beat Mississippi State twenty-one to six. Um, you know, and he lost some games against good teams that you know they, they were really close to winning. And and yeah. Daniel Boyd mentioned the Alabama uh, game, being the won. Alabama and the Tennessee, which the Alabama game lives in infamy. You know, basically they just they were barking out state signals and, and got Michael Montgomery to jump off jump off sides. Um, so, but as far as like slowing down the momentum, no. Going into the '92 season, I thought this team's about to take off. They're they're going to be they're going to compete for the SEC championship. And I didn't know Alabama was going to win the national title that year. Yeah, because you got to remember back back in this days, no SEC team has won a national title since '79. So I, I'm not even. That's old another thing, kind of like the two and nine LSU. That sounds it that sounds hard to believe. You know, think oh God, I could, I could probably do it if I think hard enough. Um, but yeah, I mean, team, you know, te- Clemson won one in '81. '82 is like. Uh, uh, is, is Penn State eight? No, I'm sorry, eighty. Georgia won in eighty, so that's the last time. You know, BYU won it in eighty five. I mean, all these weird teams, right? Yeah. Of course, Miami has the big decade of the eighties. Yeah. So it's just been so long, and but as far as to answer your question, no, I, I thought that state was about to take off and and, and become a top program. What's the? Uh, this is something I didn't ask you in the first part, as I was, I guess, interview Brian Haydad day. Mm-hmm. Um. What's the the Ole Miss reaction after year one of Jackie when they've been defeated in the Egg Bowl and you do kind of have that? I don't. I'm pretty sure Jackie didn't grab a microphone like Dan Mullen and say there's a program in this state on the rise. But what what's kind of the if you even can answer this, not Mm -hmm. being one of them? Mm -hmm. What's what's the feel up north? They weren't happy. I mean, that's just we we have to talk honestly now here that Ole Miss people by and large believe Mississippi State is beneath them. And for State to, to come into a situation where now that suddenly they're better than Ole Miss is, is just not acceptable. You know, Billy Brewer did not react well to Jackie Sherrill's hiring. They called him a habitual liar, uh, to which Jackie Sherrill replied, I don't think Billy Brewer can spell habitual. <laughs> to which I know I've been told that Billy Brewer kept a fifty caliber bullet and a gold-plated on his desk with a stand that said, guaranteed to cure a habitual liar at a thousand yards. <laughs> that was given to him by some old Miss fan. I mean, they didn't like each other, Brewer and Cheryl. Um, but, you know, that, I think it was sort of similar to Mullen and, and Freeze. They just, they didn't care for each other. Um, and so, you know, as we, as Jackie Sherrill's uh, legal documents will now tell you, that the plans were put into place to try to get rid of him. Um and you know, even the the thing to remember though is the next year state goes to Oxford and loses. So it's not a situation where state wins. You know, state win three of the first four that Cheryl played, but it, it didn't feel as as different as it did with the way Mullen really skull drugged them for three years in a row. Yeah. Um, 
But they obviously, they were not fond of Jackie. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Which, therefore, endeared Jackie all the more. Yeah, to, exactly. To so. Mississippi State. <laughs> so, interesting times. Like I said, this is the start of MSU football. This is all really some, cool to me because some of this, from especially from like 91 to 95, 96, somewhere in there, mm-hmm. I can vaguely kind of remember some stuff. Yeah. Like, just I, not well enough to even ask questions of, of Bill or Daniel or some of these. But it just kind of, I don't know, fills in some mental gaps for me a little yeah. bit to do these kinds of things. Yeah. So, anyway, I, there's probably some of you out there that glad I don't talk much through them anyway. But I, I'm enjoying the learning sitting here through the interviews now. and it's kind fun. of talking about it with you. It's so. fun. Yeah, it, it's a lot of fun for me, too, to go, to go back through it through memory lane and talk to some of these guys who, you know, at the time, you know, young 15-year-old, those were my heroes, you know. I was like, those guys play football for Mississippi State. I want to play football for Mississippi State. Yeah. Didn't know that that wasn't a possibility, you know, at that time. So it was, it was a lot of fun to go back down. I want to thank Bill Sarton and Daniel Boyd once again for coming on with us. We really, really appreciate their time. Uh, next week, I know our Monday show, our Sunday show, Joel Coleman wrote, wrote an article. It's on Cowbell Corner. We're going to talk about Kylan Hill. The enigma of Kylan Hill. What is going to happen with him this season? What? Is, how is Mississippi State going to use him? He got he got to talk to Coach uh, Eric Malay, and uh, we also talked to Mike Leach a few weeks ago. We sort of talked about it with him. We're going to try to bring all that together and get an idea of where Kylan's at. It. We will start our SEC previews. We are 14 weeks away from the start of football season, which means we are going to talk with somebody. I believe you picked LSU. I so did. We know a few of those guys. We'll see who's wanting to come on with us. So our first one of those, which means we're two weeks away from starting opponent previews and, and things of that nature. Um, and uh, i trying to think what else we got going on next week. We're getting closer to the MLB draft. We're going to talk about that. Uh, new dr- mock drafts. We're going to try to get some folks on who know a little bit more about it. Maybe the NBA draft as well. And, of course, we got another deep dive uh, coming for you as well. We're trying to get we – we still have part two of Stansberry to put together. I haven't been able to get up with anybody to, to talk about that. Still going to work on that. And I have a few other ideas uh, as well. I think next week we're going to do – just to give Joel, maybe he wants to do some research this time. I don't know. We're going to talk some baseball. Yeah. The forgotten 1998 Mississippi State baseball team. They went to the College World Series, back-to-back appearances, Patty Mack's first year. But I don't think anybody ever talks about them. They always People talk about 97. People talk about 07 and 13 and all that. Nobody really talks about that 98 team very much. So we're going to get some guys on to talk about that. This should be a lot of fun. All right, guys, have a great weekend. Back with you on Sunday afternoon for Joel. Well, I say that. I mean, if I'm cooking, I have to figure something else out. Yeah, well, guess what? what? I live in Starfield. We'll, we'll, make, we'll it make it work. For Joel T. Coleman, Woo. I'm Brian Haydad. Thanks for listening to Thunder and Lightning on Super Talk Mississippi. Mississippi Media Production.